So be very, very wary about disclosing finances or information that gives away too much information about the company. People can get in trouble for that. So if there's anything that you feel in doubt, just remove it, especially when it comes to monetary values. This is Chan with The Plan, the podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy, actual steps for frustrated professionals, helping you overcome career challenges so you stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. I'm your host, Max Chan. Now let's dive into the episode. Hey, Mohamed, welcome to the show. Hey, Max. Thank you for having me. It's a true pleasure to be here. Likewise, I know that you're very experienced in terms of the career coaching space, helping your clients make career moves. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background in regards to how you started, like once you graduated school, and then how you pivoted into the career coaching space? Absolutely. My career in career coaching, I guess, for a long time was in tandem with a background in corporate medical sales, particularly medical device sales. When I graduated from university with a degree in chemistry, I wanted to follow in my father's footsteps and go completely into the medical sales space. So initially, I started working for a very, very small company called Timesco, selling general medical equipment like thermometers and stethoscopes and hospital consumables in a broad range of hospitals across the UK. And then shortly after that, I was able to secure a job with a large company called Smith & Nephew, which is one of the biggest medical device companies in the world working within the orthopedic medical device space. So when people think of a sales-based role, they probably think of someone rocking up in a suit, not too dissimilar to what I'm wearing now, into an office somewhere and having a meeting. But the nature of my sales role was very, very different. I actually spent about 70 to 80% of my time in an operating room next to surgeons, doctors, and nurses, watching how these orthopedic surgeons did their surgery and then find a better way for them to do surgery using the products that my company sold and then selling them a whole bunch of solutions on top of that, from devices to capital equipment, anywhere from tens of thousands of dollars to it could have potentially ended up in the millions, which was great, which was fascinating, as well as seeing a lot of blood and bones. It did require a lot of coaching in its own way, in the sense that because I'm not a trained medical professional, I didn't have the authority to really tell the surgeon what to do, but in a coaching and advisory way, really allow them to form their own conclusions about how to best do their practice. But over a period of years and time, I came not to enjoy it as much as I did when I first started. It was very lucrative in terms of the finance side of things and the lifestyle that afforded me. But I've always had this intrinsic desire to help people. And I really wanted to take that into a full-time profession. So what initially started as a side hustle alongside my sales career in terms of writing resumes, covering letters and optimizing LinkedIn profiles, very slowly merged into more of a part-time role and eventually a full-time role and taking up more time and energy than my sales career did. And then eventually taking the leap into doing this full-time. So that's the story of my career in a nutshell. Great. And walk us through how you helped your first few clients in the career coaching space. Completely. I look back at this quite fondly, actually, even though at the time it was quite a challenge. I was always really good at writing. I remember back in high school, those in a few years ahead of me who were going on to university they were actually asking me to help them write their personal statements. And I did so for free and willingly. I didn't think anything of it. And my reputation grew from that moment onwards. And my friends and family were always coming to me for resumes. And there was literally a moment where I was writing a resume on a Sunday evening for free, and I didn't think anything of it. And that individual said to me, you know what, you really ought to do this professionally, you're really, really good. And I didn't think much of it. And I just continued doing what I did. But it got to a point where one day I was writing a friend of a friend's resume and she insisted 
I take some compensation for it. It was a really small amount. It was in the region of about $10. So it wasn't a lot of money. But that gave me the confidence just to really begin. So from that onwards, it gave me a bit of a push. Full disclosure, I was going on Facebook groups in local groups like jobs in Birmingham or Manchester or London. And whenever anyone was indicating that they were looking for a new job, I just tag my company page and say, MK Career Solutions is offering free resume or CV reviews, get in touch. And literally people were contacting me. I was spending about three to four hours a day doing that. And as time went on, more and more individuals got in touch with me and more and more individuals were willing to pay me for the privilege. And that's how my career started. Awesome. So you've been doing this for four and a half years. And what are some of the biggest obstacles that a lot of professionals have when it comes to career success? I think there's a number of them. I think number one is that not a lot of individuals have a lot of clarity on what they want to do. And so they make very reactive decisions. One day, someone might be very unhappy for a reason they may not fully be aware of. And what that leads to is immediately thinking, I need to apply for a new position. And rather than thinking strategically about what the reasons are, what they want to do, it's simply let me go on Indeed, Monster, CV Library, whatever, and let me just start applying for jobs straight away. Now, that's a very, very reactive move in the sense that with no strategy, your likelihood of success is not very great. But more importantly, your likelihood of satisfaction in the job <laughs> is very unlikely too, because it's a very reactive decision without any thought behind it. Very much similar to an analogy I give about holiday. I mean, it's very unlikely that an individual just wakes up one day and just jumps on a plane and goes to the Bahamas, for example. It's very likely that before they've done that, they thought, ah, I want to go on holiday. Where do I want to go? Who do I want to go with? What are the COVID requirements? What are the passport requirements? What's my budget? Where am I going to stay? What's my itinerary going to be? And all of those things are taken into account and then they commit to going on holiday. Whereas with a job, if people took a similar approach, they'd have far more success. Whereas it's very much to, it's just a case of one day uploading a resume on LinkedIn and seeing what happens. And that can lead to a lot of failures. It can lead to a lot of dissatisfaction and certainly a lot of frustration in the process as well. For sure. And why are people not happy in their current careers when they go to you and they're wanting to make a career pivot? Interesting question, Max. I think most of the time, it's not the job itself. It's what the job is not allowing them to do. So most of the time, we don't work purely for the sake of work. We work because the money and the time that it affords us allows us the opportunity to do more of what we love which might be time with family, time with friends, a hobby that we might be interested in, sports that we might play. And quite often what happens is career dissatisfaction starts to emerge when we're working far too long, so we don't have the time to do anything else but work, or we don't have the money that we need or want to leverage the time that we have to do the hobbies or the things that we want. And I think simply by creating more time, it can create a lot more satisfaction or by getting more money, which is, of course, slightly more tricky, but very much achievable too. For sure. So let's say someone wanted to make a career move. How would they optimize their LinkedIn profile to make this successful career change? What I find with a lot of professionals when they're trying to make a career move is that their LinkedIn profile is still geared towards what they're currently doing, and they get responses from recruiters, but it's the same role that they don't want. They want to move to a different space so what is your recommendation with that? Great question. I actually had the privilege of sitting down with the LinkedIn team and um, talking about their LinkedIn recruiter platform 
which is in the region of about $7,000. And I was fortunate enough to have a walkthrough. So I was able to become quite accustomed to how the whole system works as a whole. But even before we get to the technical details, I think it's really important to start with the basics, which is an up-to-date profile. Now, what that means is all of the roles populated, the about section populated too, in a manner that reflects one's current situation. Now, I appreciate a lot of individuals who are considering a career change will be in a job already. So it's not necessarily about making it really clear and obvious that I'm looking for another job, but at least making sure that the career summary and career sections are filled in with what the jobs are that one has been doing over the past few years. And more importantly, having a good indication of the achievements and the tangible value that they brought into the role. And secondly, the about section, which elaborates that in a lot more detail, is important as well. Giving a brief overview of one's career, what they've done, how many years of experience they have, what they're passionate about, what they enjoy, and showing what their areas of expertise are. So in a very subtle way, without saying I'm looking for work, if a recruiter does happen to stumble across their profile, they can see and, and be like, ah, okay, this individual is an expert in project management, for example. This individual loves sales. This may be a good opportunity for a conversation to begin. All right. So let's do a walkthrough and let's try to create a profile together. So what's the main family of jobs that you focus on? So for example, like, is it marketing? Is it product management? Project management? Is it sales? What is your usual focus? Honestly, I think with the scope that I've been doing it and the referrals that I get, it's very much industry agnostic, but I'd say the commonality is people who are a lot more seasoned in their career. But if you're looking for a particular walkthrough, this is the algorithm that I use myself when I'm perhaps reviewing a profile and looking for scope for improvement. I think if we start at the very top and the most obvious thing, it's a very small detail, but I can assure you it does reflect well on oneself. It's first of all, look at the LinkedIn URL. Now, the default URL typically consists of one's name followed by some random letters and numbers. There is an option if you go on your profile on the top right-hand side to edit your URL. And the easiest thing to do is to change that so it's a more simplified version of your name or at least just remove the letters and numbers. For the more tech-savvy individuals who will be reviewing the LinkedIn profile, they will notice that and they will appreciate your attention to detail, which is really important. If we move down the page, the next thing that's really important that stands out is the banner. The LinkedIn algorithm as a whole favors a complete profile and a banner is an indication of a complete profile as well. So if anyone does not have a banner, they should definitely have one. The best thing to do is to go on Google and type in literally free LinkedIn banners and there's plenty available. Keep it professional or keep it quite plain, i.e. a textured background or a color. Try to avoid anything that involves holiday pictures or informal settings or anything to do with their social life. Let's keep it really professional. Or if you're working for a company you really like, you can even have the company logo and the banner as well. And then moving down the profile picture as well in a similar sort of format. A professional headshot um, in how one would dress in a work setting is really important as well. And that's the first few visuals will really make a strong impression on anyone clicking on the profile. Going back to what you said about the profile picture, one of the things that recently was, well, not really recent anymore, I think they came out with it a couple of years ago, is the video cover story. What's your thoughts on that? Is that necessary? If you're not good on video, it's not a good idea to do it. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Having spoken to a lot of individuals who are experts in the LinkedIn space, I've come to realize that most people, and I don't know about yourself, Max, but I certainly do this too, is that most people uh, go on LinkedIn on their phone and they go on it on mute. So most people won't typically take the time to actually listen. 
I'm not saying it will hurt your chances because it might certainly help to build a bit of rapport. But considering the individual in the job market who is likely to look for candidates, it's very unlikely that they will have that as one of the main criteria about whether to take someone forward for an interview or invite them to a conversation. But there's no harm in trying if you really want to get your personality across. I think the length of time is quite short as well. But as long as there's a profile picture, I think that's a prerequisite. And especially for people who might be a bit shy, don't feel like there's any pressure to go ahead and record a video. It's not completely necessary at all. That's good because I've looked at a lot of profiles and many don't use it. Like the only people that I think use it are business owners like ourselves, but the general public don't really use it from what I've seen. I agree. I agree. It's not completely necessary. And especially companies who are recruiting through the LinkedIn recruitment platform, there is an option for a covering video as part of the application process. So when you go through a job on LinkedIn, sometimes you have to submit your resume. Sometimes there's some questions. They can even include video cover questions. So if hearing a candidate in their spoken and visual form is important to them before speaking to them, they may well include that in the hiring process through LinkedIn or even through their internal application system through the company website, so on and so forth too. So let's talk about the headline. A common mistake a lot of professionals make is they just have their, I think, job title and the company name. But if you're trying to make a career pivot, that's not good enough. So what is some advice on how to create very engaging headline for recruiters looking for them to know that they wanted to make a career change? If we look through the LinkedIn recruitment platform, i.e. from the eyes of the recruiter, one of the main criteria is the job title. So having the job title is really important. The other things are just elements which will perhaps increase the likelihood that someone will stop scrolling when they get to your profile and actually read. Especially for a job seeker, I would definitely start with the job title. You can use a divider, for example, like a line or an eye, for example, to split that and then maybe write other things. I tend to focus on my clients' profiles on highlighting how many years of experience they have. If they've won any awards, like President's Club for sales reps, for example, write President's Club awards winner, or maybe talk about something they're passionate about. So if they're passionate about tech or software sales, for example, write that. If they're extremely passionate about gaming or finance, maybe write finance enthusiast, passion for a certain element of finance. But keep it very, very simple. As a basic rule, have almost three phrases, one's name, one level of experience and what they're passionate about, or one's name, mention that they're award winner, for example, or a word that describes them. But keep it very, very simple. One thing I do tend to avoid is using any fancy symbols in there. I know people use stars and rainbows and all sorts. I don't think that necessarily your search capability is any good. So I would avoid them. But simple is best in this regard. Bearing in mind how many profiles a recruiter will look through per day, just keep it very, very simple and keep it in line with what they are looking for. To go back to what you just said about like in terms of recruiters looking at profiles, I know like there's that standard phrase about resumes where they spend like six seconds. From a LinkedIn perspective, how quickly do they scan a LinkedIn profile before they move on to the next person? I would say probably about the same. If you consider how easy it is to look at a profile and how many profiles there are out there, it's very unlikely that unless there's something that stops the scroll, they will spend a lot of time. And I think that's why it's really important that as we work down, we'll, we can come to that maybe in a second about the about section. It's really important that the first couple of lines really capture the essence of what the individual who's looking for someone like you wants. Otherwise, they might not even expand that section to read more about you, or even worse, even stop to pay any consideration about whether you're a good candidate or a bad candidate. Yeah, so let's actually go to that, the about section. So how the about section works is like you have a few lines and then there's the see more. So how important is the first few lines and what should you write when you're making a career change? 
completely. I think to my best memory, there's three or a maximum of four lines available before the see more button is pressed. So it's really important to make a good impression. There's two ways that I recommend going about it. I think number one, something along the lines of, hello, I'm Max. Thank you very much for visiting my profile. I am a, and then talk about what your role is, for example. I am a career coach with five plus years of experience in helping individuals find purpose and clarity in their career, for example, is a really good way so people know exactly what you do. Or maybe if you are unemployed and seeking a new position, you can be a lot more direct. Or maybe if you've even served your notice period and it's quite transparent with the company, you can be even more direct and say, project manager with 10 plus years of experience, actively seeking new opportunities within the tech space. Something very simple and to the point makes them really aware of who you are and what you do. And if in the eyes of the recruiter or the talent acquisition individual who is seeking for a candidate like you, they can then say, ah, okay, this guy fits the bill, this person fits the bill, let me click more and, and learn more about what they have to offer. Great. How about the featured section? Is it necessary? Do recruiters actually look at it? I know a good way to populate the feature section is like your portfolio. So what's your thoughts on the feature section of the LinkedIn profile? Great question. If there's things of note, very much make them known, but at the same time, it's not necessary to fill it with useless information either. I see a lot of individuals post their resume in that section. I don't think that's completely necessary, especially so if you've got your personal details on there, which can then potentially go out to the world, <laughs> which is good to do. If for a more creative role, marketing, graphic design, anything where there's content web development, anything where there's something to show, I would 100% include a link to the portfolio. Maybe if there's a post that's got a lot of traction, which has something to value, you can put that in the featured section, maybe a blog post or an article that you've written, or maybe even a shout out that you've got, which reflects the value of your work, what you have to offer. These things are really, really important to, to include on the featured section because it gives a person looking a flavor of what you have to offer rather than just words. Great. And now let's go to the most vital part of a LinkedIn profile or even the resume for that matter is the work experience section. So as you are aware, a lot of professionals just have their job title and then the company name. Obviously, recruiters want more content. The other way quickly to fix it is to just take your bullet points from your resume and plug into your LinkedIn profile. So what's your thoughts on that? And how would you suggest professionals write and optimize their LinkedIn profile for the work experience section? I think the principles from a resume to a LinkedIn profile are very similar with only a few distinctions. I think number one, let's go through the content just to make sure we're on the same page. It's always good, whether it's a resume or the LinkedIn, to lead with achievements first, preferably ones that are metrics based. For example, large projects that you worked on in terms of contract value. Um, it might be time efficiencies that you created in terms of a percentage. It might be training that you delivered internally or externally to X amount of people, for example. Big event that you organized with X number of attendees. It might be number of deals closed. It might be number of projects completed, for example. There's a number of different ways that we can do that. Always lead with achievements first. The big distinction between the resume and the LinkedIn is that some companies or even some individuals might be a bit more sensitive about what information is disclosed on the entirely public realm. So be very, very wary about disclosing finances or information that gives away too much information about the company. People can get in trouble for that. So if there's anything that you feel in doubt, just remove it, especially when it comes to monetary values. So just be very, very mindful of that. Sometimes you can be slightly more transparent on the resume, but I guess the same principle applies. Lead with achievements and then go on to responsibilities. For the role that you are presently doing, make sure it's written in present tense. And for roles that are in the past, 
make sure that it's written in past tense. A common mistake I see, especially on the resume, but can be translated into LinkedIn, is that the job descriptions are written are just copied and pasted from the job spec that they had before they applied for the role or once they applied from the role on the company talent portal. It's very, very obvious, especially to recruiters and talent acquisition individuals who write these things in the first place, <laughs> that that will be the case. And that definitely reduces the quality and integrity of your LinkedIn profile or your resume. So make sure it's molded and shaped into your own words to sound authentic and sound like it was written by you. One of the issues with the LinkedIn is that you have to make it a bit broad, right? Because the resume, you can tailor per application just to make it more aligned to the role that they're trying to fill. While LinkedIn, it's obviously harder to do that. So how do you balance between like making the LinkedIn broad enough that it still has that targeting component so it doesn't deter away potential recruiters? Great question. I think this goes back to one of the first points we made in this conversation, Max, in the sense that before you even begin pulling the trigger or taking any activity, understand what you want. The more specific you are about what you want, the more homogenous your documents, your LinkedIn profile look. And the less likely you have to worry about being very broad and generalized. At the end of the day, especially in this market where cost cutting is taking place, where there's talk of redundancies, energy bills are squeezing finances, people want specialists, people want someone to come in and do a job and make sure they get a return on investment. So the more specific you are with the documents, the better, really. If one does find that "Mm, maybe I'm looking for multiple roles, perhaps it's worth doing some introspection or speaking to a career coach like Max to really get some clarity on what they actually want to do so that you don't have to worry about that problem of generalization. Okay, makes sense. So as we move down the LinkedIn profile, education is pretty standard. We won't go into that. How about like volunteer experience? Do recruiters really look at the volunteer aspect of your profile or not really? I think it's definitely a conversation starter. I don't think a volunteering capacity is the one distinct factor that will mean you will get a job, but it certainly shows depth. And in certain instances can be something that shows a level of experience. So for example, I was recently working with a client who was a manager in tech sales, looking to get into a directorship based position. Now, some of the questions that they were getting asked in the interviews was around the level of leadership expertise, especially at the higher level. And one thing they mentioned on passing was the fact that they were working as president for a local dogs trust in a completely voluntary position. And once that conversation got started, that was the conducive element that resulted in them securing a role. So especially in positions like this, where perhaps you're applying for a leadership position and you don't have it before, if you show some evidence of leadership, even if it's in a non-paid and a voluntary capacity, that can potentially be the difference between securing a job and not. So I'd definitely encourage individuals to write their voluntary experience on the LinkedIn profile. Great. Then let's move on to the skills section. As you know, you can max out the skill section with 50 skills. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then there's endorsements as well. So how does one find the appropriate skills slash keywords to put into this section when they're making a career change? And does endorsements help with your search results? For example, if you have like 50 endorsements for that specific skill would actually bump you up in the search results. What's Mm -hmm. your thoughts and recommendations on that? It's a very interesting question. And I haven't been able to find a clear cut answer to that. If you asked this question last year, I would have said, probably doesn't make a difference. The skills section can be filtered and accessed and searched for by people using LinkedIn Recruiter, but it's not commonly done so. Up until last year, the skills were just independent skills that you can add. So I didn't feel like it had any relevance. However, towards the start of this year in 2022, 
the LinkedIn have changed the criteria in which skills are inputted in the sense that they are no longer just skills that sit independently on your profile. You now have to specifically, when adding a new skill, link it to either a job, a voluntary position, or your education. That indicates to me that the algorithm is favoring the skills a lot more than it was perhaps last year. But I can't conclusively say that is going to be a determining factor on any sort of visibility or promotion. But there's no harm in trying it. If the feature is there, and especially if new features are being added in that section, clearly the AI knows something that we don't. So it's useful to maybe populate those and get endorsements where necessary. If you have some free time on your hands, there are a lot of things you can do that will make LinkedIn a lot more potent for you, but you have some free time. It's always good to endorse other people in your network and quite often they will reciprocate the favor. It's a way to get them endorsements, but I have to admit, I'm not going to sit here and transparently say that it makes a massive difference because I don't know the answer. <laughs> I appreciate your transparency there, Mohammed. And speaking of endorsements, are recommendations useful? Like, Do they help at all or not really? I think recommendations are incredible. It's so powerful because it's authentic. Unlike something like Google reviews or Trustpilot, or even on your resume or your covering letter, writing in text, someone said about you, the LinkedIn ones are completely authentic because they have to be posted and approved by an individual with a LinkedIn profile. So it's very, very difficult to fabricate. I'm sure there are people who do fabricate them, but for the most part, it's very tricky and it takes a lot of work. So any recommendations on there are held with a lot of gravitas and credibility. It's not only useful to have recommendations, but I've also advised clients if they've got a portfolio, even to screenshot the LinkedIn recommendations and put those screenshots in a portfolio. If they're exceptionally strong, you can't even have them on the second page of a covering letter, which I don't recommend in terms of just general text, but including recommendations and testimonials are especially powerful. So 100%, it's really, really important. And there are something that recruiters will look at when considering a candidate's suitability for a role. And the last point I want to touch upon in terms of LinkedIn profile optimization is creating content. Is it necessary for a job seeker to, to create content to help them optimize their presence on the platform or is not necessary? Honestly, I don't think it's that important. Even if you had a post that went viral, my opinion is the best way to get the best use out of LinkedIn, especially when finding a role, is to go direct. If you think about it, we will submit an application or we'll complete a form. We'll send our resume to a recruiter or an agency. They will review it. They will screen it. And they will set up a call to review our suitability, usually a 15-minute call. So if you've got a platform which allows you to contact people directly, why not just skip the process and go straight to initiating a conversation? So what I recommend is if you're really interested in a position or a company, find the talent acquisition or HR individual on LinkedIn. Reach out to them courteously. Don't make an ask of them on the first message. But find a way to go from a messaging conversation onto a phone or a Zoom or a Teams conversation and see where that conversation goes. It's equally potent doing that with individuals who work within a particular team that you want to do. So, for example, I was recently working with a client who was in policing in the UK. He'd been working in policing for nearly 17 years and he'd got to a point where he was no longer happy with the industry. He wanted to move into the private sector. He had no idea what he wanted to do. We worked together, we got some clarity, he found out that he wanted to do consulting and only work for the big four because he had very high standards. And what he actually did was reach out to individuals on LinkedIn from the likes of PwC, KPMG, Deloitte, and build relationships with individuals who worked within the departments and teams that he wanted to. 
And within a period of six weeks of doing this, he was actually able to secure interviews with three of the big four companies. Now, what was most incredible was those interviews were secured through referral, which meant he bypassed the initial psychometric testing and any of the other things that actually followed. He went straight to the source and got great results. I think the secret to this approach is if you're able to build a rapport with individuals from large enterprise or corporate companies, those internal employees are actually given a referral bonus if they refer an external candidate who secures a role. So if you're able to build a relationship, if you're able to show your credibility and your professionalism, there's a strong incentive for them to refer internally to get interviews. And of course, more importantly, from the hiring manager's side, if they've got a referral from someone who already works for them, they might be thinking in their mind, hmm, I've got the chance to perhaps interview someone directly and skip all this painstaking assessment days and reviewing resumes and interviews. So it's a win-win-win for all three parties involved. That's awesome. And again, really appreciate you taking the time to help us polish and create a LinkedIn profile for someone looking to make a career change. So I end discussions with my guests by asking them this one last question. So as you're aware, my podcast is about helping professionals overcome career challenges to help them get to the next level. So for you, what has been one big career challenge that you had to face and that you had to overcome to get to where you are today? It's a really fitting question because I think it relates to the point that I just made. I had a lot of challenges when I first started applying for roles straight out of university. I had a first class degree. I had sales experience. I had tons of voluntary. So I thought I was going to walk into a role, but applying through the conventional means did not work. I made well over 50 applications, interviews, assessment days. It's probably close to 100 engagements I had before I got a role. So rather than thinking conventionally, I thought outside the box. I went direct. I started using LinkedIn. I started contacting people directly through their companies and getting meetings. And that's how I was able to secure the role. So if I had advice for my former self coming straight out of university, or even the second time when I was laid off and I was looking for a role, it's always about going direct, go straight to the source, and you're more likely to get stronger results than by going through the conventional means. Great. And how can people reach out to you to learn more about what you do and how you can help them make that career change? LinkedIn. My LinkedIn is it's just my name. So it's Mohammed, M-O-H-A-M-M-E-D. And my last name is Kasuji, K-A-S-U-J-E-E. Anyone listening is more than welcome to reach out to me if they want a complimentary LinkedIn review. And I'm more than happy to give them some feedback at cost. Again, I appreciate the time, Mohammed, and best of luck in helping your clients reach their career goals. Thank you for having me, Max. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here's three ways I can help you achieve your career goals for free. First, subscribe to this podcast as I post two episodes a week. Number two, leave a five-star review as this helps build the credibility of the show so we can gain access to more influential people to interview and bring those lessons to you to help elevate your career. And number three, connect with me on social media. There's a link in the show notes for you to click on that compiles all my active social media accounts, making it easy for you to find me and connect with me. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, Thank you.